and welcome to the New Mexico Autism Project podcast for educators. These podcasts, as well as our online training series, have been developed by the University of New Mexico Center for Development and Disability in collaboration with the New Mexico Public Education Department as a resource for educators who would like to learn more about evidence-based practices for working with students diagnosed with autism spectrum disorder. We hope that you enjoy this series, and if you have any questions about these resources or how we may support your school district through the NMPED Autism Project, please contact me, Patrick Blevins, at the email address shown on the slide, or call the UNM CDD at 505-272-3000. Welcome to this podcast from the UNM Center for Development and Disability Autism Programs School Team. Today, we're going to be talking about how data is used to make decisions about instructions. In my experience, teachers are often way too focused on collecting data without a real clear picture of why they're doing it beyond the fact that the state and the school requires some kind of data. So I've invited Heather Deluzio to talk with us about data collection. Heather's worked with a variety of students with disability, including a lot of students with autism spectrum disorders for many years, and she has effectively used database decision-making for many of those years. And she is now a board-certified behavior analyst. However, she used data long before she became a certified behavior analyst. So Heather, would you introduce yourself briefly and tell us a little bit more about your experience? Um, hi, my name is Heather Deluzio, and um, like Marianne said, I'm uh, currently a board certified behavior analyst. But before that, I was a special education teacher for 13 years. Um, I've worked both here in New Mexico and in Washington State. I've worked with students with a variety of disabilities, but the vast majority of my experience has been working with students on the autism spectrum disorder. So given all that experience with uh, lots of kids, uh, mostly with significant disabilities, right, Heather? Yes. Okay. And you have worked uh, also, just to clarify, you've worked with very young kids and up through elementary age, or have you worked some with older kids as well? In my practice as a teacher, I worked with students um, in kindergarten through fifth grade. Okay, so a lot of the, certainly the elementary age. And um, even though we are talking about um, primarily experience with elementary age, do keep in mind uh, that, you know, we use data, we collect data as adults every single day, and we use the data that we collect. Uh, so, you know, it, it's not focused uh, um, only on kids with disabilities, nor is it focused on only young children. So let's just start off with uh, something that Heather and I have talked about a number of times is the statement, um, only collect the data that you will use. So could you kind of uh, tell us how that applies to your teaching and how you think about that when you, when you organize classrooms or help others with their classrooms? So when I, I think about data collection in the classroom, I always um, consider the statement, work smarter, not harder. So I wanna make sure that my data collection um, processes and procedures and the data collection I'm engaging in is for a specific reason. And it's gonna help me um, 
make specific decisions. I don't want to take data just for taking data as purposes. Um, I want to make sure that my data is going to help me make a decision, is going to help me um, improve my instruction, is going to help me um, support my students uh, in the classroom in the most efficient and effective way possible. Uh, right, and and so I, I like I have often been in classrooms, and I know you have too, uh, where there's a whole notebook full of data. So there is, oh, let's say ABC data, and there's, you know, frequency data on certain learning things or whatever. How do you help teachers sort of sort that out and simplify, so that they feel a little more confident both about the data that they're collecting and that they're able to use the data. And then kind of in conjunction with that, talk about what it means to use the data that you collect. So often when I now in my practice as a behavior analyst and supporting a teacher um, in, in considering data, I always ask them why. Why are they taking data? Um, what is the reason? Because a lot of times that's gonna help identify what type of data you need to collect, how much data you need to collect, um, how often to evaluate that data and determine um, you know, if you're done collecting data for that purpose or if you need to continue collecting data. So and really data collection in the classroom should help us um, make decisions about the efficacy of our instruction. How well are our students learning in the classroom? Um, and so, uh, you know, that's, that's what I try to come back to as the, uh, with, with teachers is, what are you trying to teach? Let's identify what data we need to collect so that we can identify if the student is learning what we're trying to teach and make adjustments to how we're teaching based on what our data is telling us. Right, and, and I, I have certainly uh, had, had similar experiences. Let me just kind of share with you a little scenario and see how you would answer this particular question. So uh, in an IEP meeting and you're looking at, you know, specific goals and progress towards goals and the teacher has, you know, a nice, um, has data that she's collected, you know, maybe probes a couple times a week anyway. And um, this is a yearly IEP and the progress toward goals show that, you know, the student is just pretty much um, has not met criteria yet. And the student is still working on, you know, the same thing that they were working on at the end of, you know, the last IEP um, um, session. So how would you respond to that when the teacher says, well, the data shows that he's just not learning this skill? And how would you respond to that? And how would you help that teacher move away from that um, skill, whatever it is, that's just been stick, stuck there? I would go back to um, looking at the skill itself and reevaluating, are we teaching the appropriate skill? Are we, um, have we, included appropriate um, scaffolding or prompting within that skill to assist the student in learning that skill. Um, and then also looking at how often are we evaluating that data. So, you know, if obviously we don't wanna have long periods of time where we're collecting data and we're not seeing any progress on a skill that we're, we're trying to support a student, a student in acquiring. And so it may be a question of, too, in incorporating into that goal, 
more frequent progress monitoring so that we can make uh, different types of decisions with regards to how we're providing instruction around that skill. Oh, that's a, that's a great answer. And the whole idea, the whole question of whether it's an appropriate skill, there's just a whole nother uh, podcast right. for us. <laughs> uh, um, so um, you talked about uh, sort of altering the, the program, uh, looking at the skill, making sure it's appropriate, maybe uh, making sure uh, in inserting additional steps in it. Um, and, you know, have you ever had the experience that kids just stop making progress because they're bored to death? Absolutely. Right. I mean, and you have to consider that too. If a student's been working on a, a skill for an extended period of time and we haven't altered uh, anything around that skill. So we're not altering our presentation. We're not altering the materials. We're not altering um, the types of engagement that the student has with, with the instruction. I think any of us would get bored with that. And so that can also be a conversation of how, um, how we're, again, going back to how we're providing that instruction and, and the types of materials and instructional formatting and um, the types of responding that we're asking the student to engage in. So they may benefit from kind of various response modes to help, um, you know, make it a little more lively. Um, and, and like I said, altering that material or presentation so that perhaps we're tying it into um, prior knowledge that the student has or high preference areas that the student has to make that, that um, topic or skill a little bit more relevant to them. Um, things like that can be really helpful. So would you say kind of in a nutshell that what you're, what you're saying is that you want to make the, the, uh, the lesson itself, the learning the skill itself more appealing? Yeah. More I, reinforcing. Yeah. Yes, I mean, and, and I always say like learning should be fun. Um, and so, you know, if, if the teacher's not having fun teaching, then oftentimes the student's probably not enjoying themselves learning along with you. Um, so sometimes mixing it up and altering presentation can have a pretty uh, large impact on that engagement and motivation piece for the student. Well, I am really glad that you made that point about, you know, if, if you're not having fun, chances are the kid is not having fun either. And I, I know I've kind of said that to uh, student teachers and various other people at times, but it just really uh, bears repeating. So, you know, if you're a teacher who's really bored with what you're doing, chances are your kid is bored too, and that's going to show up in your data. Absolutely. So um, I've, I've heard, and, and I know that you use uh, the trends in the data to make decisions about data and to kind of analyze that data. What does it mean to make a decision based on the trend of the data? So when I, when I think about trend and data, I, you know, I want to see that student's trend heading upwards. Um, and if I stop seeing that that forward progress, that upward momentum of the student, maybe now the student was doing, you know, starting to demonstrate greater proficiency with the skill. And then all of a sudden we start to see it kind of go down. I need to stop and kind of reevaluate what my instruction looks like and, and come um, to some kind of understanding about why the student has stopped responding um, in a positive way to uh, either my instruction or the materials or the content itself. Um, and so using that, the trend really 
should allow teachers to evaluate their instruction in a more timely manner by seeing those shifts in how students are responding over shorter periods of time. Yeah, and I've always found that very helpful. And as behavior analysts, there is, you know, sort of a, you know, fancy mathematical way to figure it out, which, you know, if you're a geek like us is fun for you. Um, but is there um, a quick way that teachers can kind of determine what the trend is without uh, really knowing or getting into that mathematical formula? I, I always like to teach teachers just to put it on a simple graph and, and then try to get a ruler to line up in the middle as much as possible between those data points and draw a line. Oh, that's a great, great uh, one. That's a super easy way to just kind of quickly visually inspect your data and see um, what's going on. I know we all have lots of technological tools these days too, where you can just click a button and it'll pop your trend line right in there. But if you're a paper and pencil junkie like me, <laughs> pulling out the ruler and kind of just seeing where that ruler best aligns either up or straight or down um, and drawing the line to kind of identify that trend. Uh, that that's a great method. Another one that I have uh, sometimes used is you know getting you want a, a pencil, just a, a plain old pencil, and covering as many data points as I can with that mm -hmm. pencil, and kind of seeing you know where that goes, and that gives you a, a pretty clear idea. I mean, it, you know, obviously the mathematical formula is a little more accurate, but that one is a really pretty good one. And, you know, you, um, you obviously know the technology. And uh, for me, I, I don't necessarily know how to use that technology. So it's a, it's a good one. So what happens, though, sometimes, um, again, in my own experience, I know when there's a lot of variability in the data, we have to make some other, um, other um, decisions. So describe what that means if there's a lot of variability in the data and how you would kind of respond to that variability. So I actually have a great uh, antidote about variability in data from my own, my own classroom in that I had a student who was um, responding with a very high level of accuracy to an instructional program with me and then with uh, both of my educational assistants was responding at much uh, lower rates. And, you know, we couldn't quite figure out like what was going on, like why, why was there such a discrepancy between who, um, uh, who was interacting with the student and how they were responding to the instruction. And so we actually took turns watching each other um, as a first step to kind of see was there some uh, way that each of us were pre was presenting the information um, in a different way. And it turns out my EA caught on that I was inadvertently prompting the student. Um, I was looking at the correct answer every single time and the student was waiting for me to look at the correct answer. Um, and so we kind of identified that way, um, you know, okay, <laughs> some in, you know, some, uh, instability in, in how we were providing instruction and prompting um, was the cause of that variability in the students' um, data with regards to you know, their, their skill, um, this particular area. But it can also be you know, looking at uh, the effectiveness of our reinforcers that we're using. So sometimes if we're, you know, I know you've done a previous podcast on preference assessment, if we're not doing, um, 
uh, we're not, we don't have effective reinforcers. We haven't identified re effective reinforcers. Maybe we're not probing those before an instructional session to make sure we have an effective reinforcer on hand for our students that can lead to variability in the data. Like I said, you know, it might be inadvertent human I mean, we're humans. We all, you know, might accidentally be prompting a student or presenting instruction in a way that is confusing to the student that might lead them to um, engage in some variability in their responding. Yeah, those are great examples. And I've certainly had an experience experiences with both. And it just is amazing how uh, students will pick up on just the littlest uh, differentiation and prompting and really pay attention and learn, you know, that that prompt has to go rather yeah. than the skill. And so we do need to be really careful to make sure our students are learning the skill and not our particular idiosyncrasies. Um, and, and then uh, that variability, um, you know, I've often heard it said that a lot of variability indicates that the, there's a motivational problem. And you said exactly that in terms of uh, looking at uh, reinforcers and, and how you're using reinforcers. Yeah. So is there anything else about uh, using the trends that you, that you want to share with us or that you pretty much, uh, I, I just want our listeners to understand that it's pretty easy to determine and it can be really, really helpful rather than going through data points one at a time yeah, to look at the trend. And it's something that you can do fairly easy. I mean, that's something that's easy enough to do, you know, at the end of the day real quickly is to check a few of those quickly and see how your students um, are doing so that you can make adjustments the following day if you need to, or you can have these conversations with your team members if you need to about why we're seeing things um, maybe shift in not the correct direction, or if things are going in the right direction, making sure that we're all on the same page to continue that, that um, forward progress. Yeah, that, that's exactly right. Well, thank you, that, that sounds great. I know some teachers have turned themselves inside out trying to collect the data that I've asked all day, every single day. So would you talk a little bit about that and how that might be different, say for a, a student who has a challenging behavior of some kind versus like some of the academic or adaptive skills that we might be looking at? That's exactly what I was gonna say. It really depends on again, going back to your why, your purpose for collecting data is really gonna help you determine how frequently you need to take data um, and for how long that data needs to happen um, or needs to be collected, you know? And so for, if we're, we're considering data collection in, in relation to um, challenging behaviors, it's considering too, how often is that challenging behavior occurring? If it's something that's occurring at a very high rate all day long, could be effective to just identify small chunks once or twice a day where you're gonna take data on a regular basis um, to monitor you know, how, that, how that behavior is responding to intervention um, and, and what that looks like. If you're talking about academic skills, you know, my practice in the classroom was to set up really easy data collection systems so that with most academic skills, we were taking data on a daily basis. Um, for larger academic skills, we were maybe probing that data two to three times or that, that skill two to three times a week just to kind of check in and see that student's progress um, as we're providing instruction. 
And so, yeah, I think it really goes back to first that essential component of identifying why you're collecting your data. And that's gonna help you establish too, how long are you collecting data for? So if we're considering challenging behavior and I'm collecting data, you know, ABC data to help me determine, um, uh, develop a hypothesis as to why that behavior is happening, I only need to collect enough data so that I see patterns in the data that I can now start to formulate my hypothesis on. I don't need to have um, probably, you know, eight weeks of data there. Oh, I would, I hope that answer is a real relief to teachers because yeah. I certainly <laughs> agree because sometimes, you know, sometimes you can pick up a pattern before lunch and then, exactly. you know, you're done. Um, so you really don't have to go through, you know, days and days and days. And, and I know different school districts have different requirements and teachers try real hard uh, to meet those requirements. But I think also, um, and tell me if this has been your experience in schools, if you have accurate data that really gives you a clear picture uh, that you can make the case in the IEP meeting or the FBA meeting or whatever, uh, that, you, that you have a clear picture of what's going on and it doesn't take days and days and days. Absolutely. And if we're talking about a behavior that's occurring at a very high rate throughout that student's day, you might need two days of data, one day of data, depending on what that student's day looks like. Um, to really start to see patterns of responding in the students and help you really make a very well-educated um, hypothesis regarding why, what function is that, is that behavior currently serving the student? And, and that you know, can lead to more effective intervention. Yes, yeah, so so that that's a really uh, good uh, good point, and uh, you also for some of the really high priority behaviors, self injurious behaviors or aggressive behaviors or things like that, uh, you really don't want to spend weeks watching this happen. You want to be able to um, measure the attempt or you know the the carry through if if possible if so if it needs to be, and um, know what's happening very very quickly so you can begin your intervention as soon as possible. Absolutely. Thinking about, so you said that some, uh, sometimes it's a, a probe, maybe two or three times a week of an academic skill. Um, certain academic skills, you might uh, do a, what, a five minute or uh, 15 minute uh, session every day. And then you have the challenging behaviors. So at the end of the day, how do you then um, transfer that all and make it make sense uh, for coming in the next day and um, using that data for decisions? So one thing I really like, and they're pretty readily available, are kind of these self-graphing data collection systems um, where you can take your data and it produces a visual representation for you right there that's going to help you um, make those informed instructional decisions for the next day um, or for subsequent lessons. But it's also um, making sure that you have those systems set up before <laughs> you, you start collecting data. And that's gonna make it a lot easier for maybe end of the day to quickly transition your data from your collection form to your graph um, or to just quickly visually analyze the data that you have collected and say, okay, you know, we were, you know, able to um, successfully respond at this particular rate um, 
for each session during the day. So we're doing well, I can, can keep progressing with my instruction as it is, or mm, we had a lot of variability today. That's something I want to be on the lookout for tomorrow and see if I start to see a pattern and how the student is responding. And what would be your best advice to a teacher? So assuming a teacher's ready to collect data and they have, you know, maybe one or two, not terribly difficult behaviors, but some challenging behaviors, as well as some pretty, you know, the, the usual stuff that's on an IEP. What would be your advice about how to get started with data collection? I, I always tell teachers to pick one thing to start with first. So find that priority, sit down. If it's challenging behavior, um, oftentimes that's what's interfering with a student's learning. Um, in some respects. And so you may start there and start with identifying how you're gonna collect the data, how long you're gonna collect the data for, and who's gonna collect the data. I think that's a really important part is identifying somebody who's going to collect that data and, and when throughout the day are they gonna collect their data. So I know with my educational assistants in the classroom um, at various points, we had a plan for with regards to students who are, in, who are experiencing you know, some behavioral differences, um, who is taking what data when? And so we just had a very simple written out plan so that we could walk in and out of the door and check it off. Okay, today so-and-so is monitoring this student and they're taking this data during this time. Um, and sometimes visually having a, a little schedule or representation can be really helpful to um, the staff in knowing exactly who's responsible for what and when and how we're doing it. Um, so we've talked a lot about using uh, data for database decisions. And um, so we've talked about um, deciding to uh, make the steps smaller. We've talked about deciding to kind of move a step ahead if the student is bored. We've talked about changing motivations. Um, are there any other kinds of, um, kinds of trends that prompt uh, some thinking in you about other decisions that might be made? Or do you think we've covered them all? I think, I think we've covered a lot of it. I mean, my advice to teachers is really keep it simple, focus on your purpose um, and have a plan, a really simple plan for, so that you know exactly what you're doing, why you're doing it and for how long you're doing it. And that you can communicate it to the other people and that you yes. get the buy-in from them, I think. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. And, and sometimes even explaining why, um, to the people, you know, your related service providers, your general education teacher, um, your administrator, that, you know, asking for help where you need help and can you help me do this? Maybe asking your principal, hey, can you come into my classroom for, for 10 minutes during this time, two days this week and help me take this data because I, um, I need some help um, during that time getting this done. Um, a lot of times you'll find there are, there are more people in your school environment who can help you and, and telling them why you're doing that uh, oftentimes can kind of help them, you know, really understand why you need their support. Well, that's a great lead into my next question, because while we, we do think about uh, the main purpose of data is deciding what to do with our instruction, but there's other purposes. And you've just talked about uh, communication with a variety of people in school, in the school. So um, 
So we use data for making instructional decisions and we use it for communication. Um, so you could, if you could expand a little bit more on that and then also talk about um, in, in that, how you use it with families and how you help them understand that you're, you're not just being a geek, even though maybe you are, uh, but that you really have a good purpose in terms of trying to help their student be independent and have a higher quality of life in whatever way that they can. I think having really clear data um, can help you effectively communicate to families um, what you're doing to help their child uh, develop their skills and uh, why you're doing <laughs> what you're doing and how their child is responding to that. Um, and, and, you know, and I think that having really simple, clear ways of communicating that to families can really be an effective method of supporting that development of a relationship with the family so that they, they really do understand what you're doing and why you're doing it and how their child is benefiting from, from the instruction and, and support that you're providing their child. I know a lot of times in IEPs as a teacher with families, if I was able to pull out a quick graph saying like, here's where we were, you know, at the beginning or even at a parent teacher conference, here's where we were at the beginning of the year. And look at how much more your child is able to do with this skill. Now, three months into the school year, this is what we've been doing to help your child make progress. And I think that that's great. And I, I, I've had a, it's been a wonderful experience to kind of have that aha moment for families where they kind of think, oh, uh, they do know what they're doing here. Right. And, you know, and my kid really is learning. And for some of our families, as we know, that's really, uh, you know, a kind of a different experience and, and one that's really valuable for them. Uh, talk about also in communicating with, you mentioned um, other teachers, uh, perhaps general ed teachers where the student is included or uh, related service providers or, you know, as, as you mentioned, the, the principal or other people that might have control over some, something that you might need for your, for your student? How do you use your data to, to, to accomplish those purposes? I think your data can be really effective, um, you know, to communicate with a lot of different people across any school environment. Um, you know, with your related service providers, a lot of times as a teacher, I worked in collaboration with them. So I was taking data for them. Um, when we were talking about skill generalization outside of that related service setting. Um, you know, I, I would ask, okay, how can I monitor the skill? How can I integrate the skill into my instruction? And so I was able to support them in their data collection as well. Um, by you know integrating that into my practice and so a lot of times when i would need support from the related service providers um you know i was able to go to them and say okay this is the data i am taking for this purpose would you mind also collecting this data during your session so that i can understand um how the students um you know using or not using this skill when they're working with somebody new or in a different setting um, or using the skill in a different way than maybe it's being used in the classroom. And with your administrator, it can be really helpful um, to, you know, when you're advocating for resources for your classroom or you're advocating for resources for your students, um, 
to go in and uh, have some data to say, look, when I, when I have access to this, look at what my students are able to do, look at what my student is able to do versus when I don't have access to these things. Um, you know, I've, I've had to use my data many times with, with my, um, the many wonderful administrators I've worked with over my career um, to say like, I really, um, I really need some support here and look, when I, when I have the support, this is what's going on with this student. And when I don't have the support, um, you know, we're really the student is really struggling. And, and that's been really effective in, in sometimes accessing more resources um, to better support my students. Well, yeah, and it's just uh, so much more powerful than you know one person's opinion. I mean, everybody's got an opinion, um, but when you have the data to back up uh, what you're saying and what you're asking for, it really makes a difference. Um, so yes, I have found that very helpful as yeah, well. Absolutely, it's, it's a lot easier to go in and say like, look at my data and this is why I need to make this decision rather than just going in and saying like, hey, I really need this. Because. Mm -hmm. yeah. Uh, every teacher in the school building really needs a lot of stuff. Uh, oh, absolutely. Yeah. And so having a, a better reason for them to give you what you're asking exactly. for is, is really a, an important one. Um, so what else, what have I missed? Because I, you know, when we talked, you know, before we started this, you said, oh, I, I have things that I could go on and on about. So I know that I have probably missed some things that you were thinking are really important to include. I think to, um, one thing that I that's really important to me is always having that clear understanding of why, but also making sure that you're not the only person responsible for everything all the time. Sometimes you can teach your students to collect data on themselves. Um, you know, that can be really helpful for them to learn how to monitor their own progress, to, to have some responsibility and to really be able to um, celebrate their accomplishments as they're learning. And I found that very reinforcing for kids. Absolutely. And, and the, the more fun you can make it and engaging and they get to color and design and do all types of stuff with their, their data system, um, you know, the more buy-in and engagement you have, but it's m more often than not, kids can be pretty accurate data collectors, especially if you just simply do quick check-ins every now and then. And, you know, they're, you know, they've got some motivation to collect their information correctly. They, they can be really effective at it. Yes, I have found the same thing. And not only with kids that are, you know, have uh, less support needs, but kids that have some pretty significant support needs and maybe not the greatest, uh, you know, uh, communication abilities in the world, they can still uh, learn to use that data to communicate and to, to begin to understand it. And that, that's very exciting. Absolutely. Are there other things that uh, pop into your mind that, that you'd like to say about data collection? can't think of anything else. <laughs> okay. Well, I, I just um, wonder if you have any just words of encouragement just for our listeners to at least get started. And um, also, I, I will put in a plug for the school team at the Center for Development and Disability uh, that if you need help with, with setting up some data collection systems, either around challenging behavior or academic behaviors or both, uh, then I would really... Uh, encourage you to contact the school team and they can help you do that. I, my advice for teachers is always, you know, don't feel like you have to 
start big. Pick one little spot to start and get going with that. And once you've got that rolling, start with the next thing. Um, and, and just add it until you, you feel like you're collecting the data that you need to be as effective as possible. Um, but don't, don't let it be overwhelming. It, it really should be a tool that you're excited to use because it's going to help you be a better, you know, be the best teacher that you can be for your students. Well, and as you said earlier, you know, a teacher who's having fun is a far more effective teacher than one who is not. And even though, you know, data collection, it just sounds like, oh my gosh, it's dry and boring. And, you know, it, it really is not. And it's so exciting to actually be able to see that you are teaching your kids the things that you said you were going to teach them and know that you really are making true progress and not just keeping kids busy. Absolutely. Yes. And that's right. Sometimes we, we kind of get bogged down as teachers in the, you know, the minutia of teaching and, and data can really help us see that we're being effective and we're making a difference and we're increasing the skills that our students have. Well, thank you so much, Heather, for joining us today. And uh, I hope that you'll hear from some of the teachers that you work with in various uh, capacities. And, and I'm hoping that the school team will too. Thank you so much. Thank you.